Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. ago, Zach and I were up in Wisconsin for the weekend, and we heard that there was some sort of geomagnetic storm something that was going to make it possible to see the northern lights that night. So we went out as it got dark, and we started to look around. And it was dark, dark, dark out. Like, couldn't see him standing a few feet from me, dark out. There's an expression in Hebrew, choshech mitzrayim, like complete darkness. That's what it was like in this sort of isolated cabin in the woods. The moon was waning. We were just a few days away from a new moon. And so standing there in this pitch darkness in the middle of Wisconsin, we did what humans have been doing for millennia. We looked up. We looked up at the only source of light around us, which was the stars. And we saw this glittery blanket stretching over us, this like little protective dome of stars, the kind of massive numbers of stars in the sky that makes me think of God's promise to Abraham that your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars that like, oh my God, there are so many of them kind of feeling. And every so often as we were standing there, like craning our necks around, trying to find the Northern lights and being amazed by these stars, we would see a flash of light on the horizon. And we would think, was that the Northern Lights? Or was that just a passing car on the road a mile and a half away? After a little while, which could have been a few minutes and it could have been a few hours, it's really hard to tell in the dark when you're not looking at anything. The coldness in our limbs started to take precedence over our desire to potentially see the Northern Lights. And so we left this little starry snow globe with the Milky Way encircling it. We went back into our cabin. But I can't stop thinking about that feeling of just being wrapped up in the stars, of being in this open field and just glitteriness all around us, that feeling of like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm in this. Stargazing has been, for most of human history, an experience of majesty. It's prompted humans to imagine, to look around and make up stories to grapple with our own smallness and insignificance just as we experience the majesty of being part of that. During the day, we can look around us. We see, we think we know what's happening around us. We see this person over there doing that. We see this thing of ours. We see this place that we're going. We are not, we are, if not masters of the world around us, at least significant participants in it. But everything changes when it gets dark, when we can't even see the things that are very close to us, but we can see the stars very far from us. Looking out into the dark, our sense of perspective shifts. We have a sense of our own smallness, right? That like, oh my God, I am one tiny speck in one tiny moment in a vast stretch of history and space. But we also have this sense of like, what a miracle that I get to be part of this. What a miracle that I get to look out, that I get to be a tiny speck at a tiny moment in time. 
In ancient times, this sense of darkness that Zach and I had at the cabin in Wisconsin would have been a daily experience. So as many little kids know, and some people grow out of and some don't, darkness can be very scary, right? It's the kind of thing where you just want to avoid it at all costs, and so you need a nightlight. Without electricity, when fire is a precious resource, nighttime is very dark and very scary because humans are daylight apex predators, meaning during the daylight, we are at the top of the food chain. We can look around. We have tools. We're pretty fast. We have good endurance. Like We are evolved to really master the world when it's light out, but when the dark falls, not so much. Our sense of sight isn't that great in the dark compared to many other animals, and so we don't have the ability to see what could be a threat to us when it's dark out. That feeling of, I don't know what's coming to get me, that might be so close to me that it's too late to run, that is the emotional experience that begins our Parsha this week. Jacob is fleeing from home after stealing a blessing from his brother Esau, tricking his dad into giving. Like he doesn't leave under good circumstances. And his mom, Rebecca, is like, go now, run. Also, your brother's a hunter, so run really fast. (laughs) And so he flees with nothing but the coat on his back. And then night comes. He arrives at a place and he lays down and he has a dream of angels going up and down from heaven. And he wakes up and he goes, oh my God. God was in this place and I didn't even know it. The narration around this beginning of the story conveys some of the danger and trepidation of the moment, right? We get these little details that Jacob, our protagonist, has so little with him that he has to use a rock for a pillow. He has nothing to create any kind of shelter around him except his own cloak. It would have been pitch black He would have been in an unfamiliar place. He would have been exhausted from running all day. And in that moment of tremendous vulnerability, he dreams a dream of angels all around him. It does, however, take a little bit of like supernatural meddling to get him to that moment. So the line that I just translated, Jacob came upon a place, literally means he was hit by a place. He was smacked by a place. So the Midrash says that on that day, the sun set early to be like, here, right now, like, don't move anymore, right here, right now, dark, stop. And Jacob didn't quite get the message. And so the earth just folded up and smacked him down to be like, you will spend the night right here. And even Jacob, whose name will become God wrestler, as Rabbi Lizzie said in next week's Parsha, because he gets so intimate with God that he literally physically wrestles, this week he needs to be smacked in the face to stop, to experience the wonder of being in God's presence. When he was fleeing in the daylight, he could be focused on his goal, which was to get as far away from his brother as possible and as close to somewhere safe as possible. He needed the darkness to fall in order to see or dream about something bigger than his own goal. He needed the darkness to get outside of himself for a minute. Notice his exclamation of surprise at that moment. He says, Which we might translate as, Oh, there is God in this place and I didn't know it. Not, 
I found God's presence or God appeared to me. God is here. God has always been here. I just didn't know. I just wasn't connected to that. When we know or when we think we know something, we become the center of our own experience. That's natural. It also can lead us into a false sense of knowing. It can lead us to think that we know more things. And that can dampen our spirit of wonder. That can dampen our desire to ask questions, to look more, to find something that is outside of us. When we don't know, when we can't prove something, our perspective shifts. So pre-electricity, pre-industrial era, People literally lived in a world with more physical darkness. Even today, there are billions of people who don't have consistent access to electricity. And the darkness is a prevalent feature in their lives. I lived that when I lived in Nepal, actually. We didn't have electricity most nights, which meant that when the sun set, that was it. We were just going to be in our home. Couldn't really go out because the streets were dangerous. It's a real development problem. It also leads to closeness, because if you can't go out and continue doing your own thing at night, you have to do our thing. You have to do the thing with all the people you're with at night. So yes, as Rabbi Stephen said, this time where it's dark can feel very depressing. I want to suggest that it can also be a time of more wonder, a time for more wow. When we don't have anything else to do, When it becomes dark earlier, we're more inclined to look up and out, to look at the only sources of light that are not the beautiful Christmas lights hung on the bars. (laughs) Those two. We're more inclined to look at the moon and the stars. And unless you're an astronomer, looking at the stars is probably an experience of wonder of dreaming, one where we have to be less focused on our own material goals, our own particular moment, and more attuned to the supernatural. We're looking at something that even if we studied it in school and we can rattle off the order of the planets, which I no longer can do and embarrass myself the other day trying to, we don't really understand or know what's out there. Even the best astronomers don't really know for sure what's out there. Who else might be out there? Famed astronomer Carl Sagan once wrote that science is not only compatible with spirituality, it's a profound source of spirituality. When we recognize our place in an immensity of light years and in the passage of ages, when we grasp the intricacy and beauty and subtlety of life, then that soaring feeling, that sense of elation and humility combined is surely spiritual. When we stretch to the edge of the knowable, Sagan is saying, when we try to make sense of ourselves in the context of the vastness of everything that is, was, will be, it kind of automatically prompts us to go, wow. Achen. Whoa. Yesh Adonai Bamakomaze. God is in this place. There is so much holiness around me that I just couldn't see until it was dark enough. So probably like me and Rabbi Stephen, you have spent a little time the past week grumbling about how dark it gets, how early 
Daylight savings has ended. My dog has started begging for food at the wrong time. If you've got little kids at home, you've probably been getting up way earlier than you wish you were. Yes, it kind of sucks that it's dark before we finish our work day and we have to walk the dog in the dark and we have to go out to dinner for the, in the dark and we can't have picnics at night. Yes, and sad lamps are a really important tool to help us get through this. Yes, all of this. Also, maybe Jacob's story this week is teaching us, is inviting us to look at this time of darkness as a more creative time, as an invitation to look up and out and inwards instead of just forwards. Did Zach and I see the northern lights that night? Don't know. Hard to say. Honestly, kind of like it that way. Because the not knowing, anohi lo yadati, that's good sometimes. It's a reminder of all the possibilities that extend beyond what we can see. That anohi lo yadati, I don't know, is something that pushes the boundaries of our lives outwards, skywards, and also inwards, towards wonder. So I want to close with a prayer that I say every morning as I put on my tefillin, written by Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who writes, Dear Lord, grant me the grace of wonder. Surprise me, amaze me, awe me in every crevice of your universe. I don't ask to understand the reason for it all. I ask only to share the wonder of it all. Shabbat shalom. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, Tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org slash events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always... We want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan, thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.